0: You really have to work hard for a set of skills that matter to you. Now, the skills have to matter. That's a key part of the equation. Once the skills matter to you and they allow you to serve not only yourself but other people, and then you actually go and serve those people, it becomes this really potent cocktail of neurochemistry but I want to make sure that everybody understands the game that you're playing is a game of neurochemistry, right? In the last year, at least two billionaires committed suicide. So I mean, like that's heartbreaking when anybody commits suicide, but when billionaires start committing suicide, like if the answer is not just self-evident beyond all imagining that money is not going to solve the problems that exist between your ears, like there's, there's nothing more anyone can tell you. A fool never learns. A smart man learns from his mistakes A wise man learns from the mistakes of others. On this one, I'm fucking begging you, be wise. I'm not telling you not to chase money. I'm just saying it's not going to feed you emotionally the way you think it is. So you've got to completely divorce yourself from this notion of outcome and become completely obsessed with the idea of sincere pursuit. Now, why sincere pursuit? The reason to tie your sense of self your self-esteem, your pride, your ego, your identity, all of that, the reason to tie that to sincere pursuit is it's the only part you can control. I cannot promise you that you'll ever be successful. You cannot promise you that you will be successful. But you can promise and know, if you actually did it, to show up every day, And really pursue it. You control your mindset. You control how you feel about yourself. Nobody can actually get you to feel some kind of way about yourself. You allow that shit in, right? That's like the cheesiest self-help shit you're ever going to hear. But it got cheesy because it's so true. So people repeated it a lot. And if you lose sight of that, if you lose sight of what you allow yourself to think is going to control you at a neurochemical level... And at the neurochemical level, that's going to influence then again, how you feel and how you think. And then you get into this death spiral where you're thinking negative shit. You believe in the negative shit, which makes you feel badly about yourself. And then you get stuck in that and you can't get out. And you see a lot of that on the hopes and fears. People afraid they're never going to be able to break free. People in this fucking room that took the time to write it down, that they were never going to get out of that negative loop. And that negative loop is really real, but here's the thing. The negative loop is based in biology. And once you begin to understand what the biology is exactly, then you can begin to take control of your life. And step one in the biological train is to break the tie that you have between outcome and worth. Once you begin to break that down, then you can step to shit naked and raw and say, all right, this is just practice. And once you're in that mode of practicing, you're in skill acquisition mode. And the name of the game is skill acquisition. Like it really is sort of that dull and boring. It's just about getting so good at something that you can't be denied. And that's one of those things like I'm going to say that phrase so much that I worry that's going to become trite. But that is one of the most awe-inspiring notions on the planet. The thought that you could become so good at something that you leave people in awe, and when you can leave people in awe, you can do just about anything you want with your life. The easiest way to talk about awe is to think of sports figures. Right, You've got sports figures, you see somebody like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant, you see what they do, and you think, oh my God, Like they're given a human body just like I was, but look at what they're able to do with theirs. It's absolutely extraordinary. And whenever you talk to the best of the best, these motherfuckers always, they always put in the work. And that is the obsession that anybody that wants to be great and achieve something has to have. It's got to ultimately boil down to the skill set. Now, here's the problem. The reality, and this is where I think most people get derailed. If you're able to detach yourself from the outcome, you're able to start thinking in this new way. It's about sincere pursuit. That idea of sincere pursuit puts you in the path of skill acquisition. The next thing that kills dreams real fast is the reality of what you're trying to build. To understand the reality, who knows what is the second law of thermodynamics? Entropy. Now, entropy is a fancy word for chaos. What it's saying is, this is, a, this is a fucking law of physics. Everything moves towards chaos. A system without additional energy added will always move towards chaos. Think about your bedroom. Think about the dining room table. Think about anything. You leave that shit alone for 30 seconds, she's already poking him like, yo, motherfucker. I'm going to send him pictures because God damn, that's chaos. That is certainly my wife. She's literally laughing right now because I am an agent of chaos when it comes to that kind of thing. That is for sure. Anything left to its own devices is going to move towards chaos. All right. Staying with physics, how do we then create things that have order and structure? We pour energy into the system. And I'm not saying this in a woo way, and everyone in this room has permission. If you ever hear me use the word quantum mind, just fucking punch me in the mouth. If Einstein didn't understand quantum physics, I assure you, self-help movement does not understand quantum physics. So I I wanna keep this shit nice and real grounded. That, That drives me fucking nuts. The reason it drives me nuts is I think it throws people off the trail of what you really have to fucking do. All right, so the thing that really begins to fuck people up is that they have this idea, they want to accomplish something with their life, they're able to move over, start thinking about practice, it's all about pursuit, they're judging themselves based on that, are they sincerely going after it or not, and then they get into the middle of that shit, and it is so mind-numbingly boring In fact, we, I think, have some photos, Lisa, if you haven't already shown them, that are the realities of what Quest was like to build it. Because what people see, they see the sexy side. They see us at the Inc. 500 Gala. They see Lisa wearing her Louboutins, showing off the red undersoles. She was very proud of those. But they don't see this shit, which is where it started. When Nobody knew who the fuck we were. This was before my man Dave Barham, who's hiding in this audience somewhere. This was when nobody knew who we are, nobody gave a shit, people were actually saying things like, I don't need protein bars, man, no thanks, I don't want any. We were giving them away for free. People wouldn't take them. We called one distributor up and he said, and I quote, I need another protein bar like I need another hole in the head. (laughs) We went into a category that had 1600 other bars and flavors and had been declining for years in sales. Nobody wanted the product that we were making, but we believed we had what Peter Thiel calls the zero to one. We had a secret that nobody else understood. It meant that we had to become our own manufacturers, which is how I went from making software all day to making protein bars all day. So this is me literally making protein bars, like this is the, the grind, this is the boredom, this is the sincere pursuit, this is the showing up every day. We had to assemble our own equipment, which I actually think we have a photo of as well. So this is us, this equipment showed, showed up one day, a big f- off like semi backs up and we're all like, well how the f- are we supposed to get it out? I'm not joking and we're like, are we really that dumb? And so we're scrambling, and we're like, all right, the the neighbor in the building, he's got a forklift, but nobody knows how to drive forklift. And I'm like, actually, I do. And my partner's like, what the f***? And I'm like, as a kid, man, in my family, you had to work dead-end jobs. My dad had me in a paint factory. I worked in a paint warehouse. I worked in a paint factory and a paint store. I'm a fucking certified forklift driver. So... (laughs) we actually had video of me i turned to the camera because so we were filming it and i was like dad wax on wax off i was like "Fuck, you want to talk about a skill i never thought i would need there it was so i literally drive a fucking forklift put all this shit down and now here we are not knowing literally there's a, a manual in here somewhere and we are opening the manual, going through, trying to figure out how to put this shit back together. It was fucking bananas. But this is like this moment right here. One, what's on my face? I'm fucking smiling, man. I'm smiling because I believe in what I'm doing. I have a mission. I'm not just trying to get rich. There's something that I believe in. There's people that I love that were suffering that I wanted to do something about. I had them on my mind and then truly advanced class shit and hopefully we'll get into this more later. When shit Really fucking goes wrong. Man, this is promise to yourself number two. Promise to yourself number two. When shit really fucking goes wrong, that's the time to laugh. That's the time to be like, all right, if I go playful right now, it will change the dynamic of everyone in the fucking room. I'm going to ask one person in this room, I want to fucking hear you when I say your name. You better be in this room too. (laughs) Casey Elliott. Make some fucking noise. That woman is so hardcore you can't imagine, but she really feels it when she fucks up. So Casey, when you fuck up, what's my attitude? Am I angry? No. Am I upbeat? <laughs> She's like, motherfucker, you're not upbeat. Understanding, you'll give me that much. <laughs> Whenever possible, to bounce in that opposite direction and change the dynamic of the way that you're thinking so that you don't get trapped in your own neurochemistry. Because when you have an emotion, the chances are you believe that emotion. But the brain has this crazy fucking weird mechanism where however big you react it goes, oh, it was that big of a deal. So if you freak the fuck out and you're yelling and screaming, then your brain's like, yeah, man, it really, it matters that fucking much. Like, I said no cheese on this fucking hamburger. There's fucking cheese on this burger. That shit is crazy. You, you can't fucking do that. You can't put, get the fuck paper. It says no cheese. And when you wind yourself up like that, then literally it just gets hardwired that, Yeah, this really is that catastrophic. But the reverse is true. Something horrifying happens. Something terrible goes wrong. And if you can, in your mind, just flip it and be like, yeah, we're going to figure this out. And I remember in the early days when we got the equipment, everyone told us, guys, the bar you want to make, it cannot be made. And I can't tell you how many times we heard that. It's kind of a boring story as to why. Why? But people just kept telling us over and over, it can't be made, it can't be made, we never planned to be our own manufacturer, we thought we'd outsource that. Every time we went to make it somewhere, they said, you're going to have to add liquid sugar to this, otherwise there, there's just no way to make it. And we said, well, that would defeat the purpose of the whole company, so we're not going to do that, so we're going to go buy our own equipment. They're like, you can buy it, it's not going to fucking work. And we were like, no, 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 man, this is definitely people are just being too lazy. And we've got the will to see this shit through. So we're like, all right, let's buy it, send it in. Got it, put it together. We're like, I knew it. Forklift driving, the whole nine. We're like, yeah, we got this. And then we ran the first attempt. And it didn't work. Yeah, that shit, you can't make that bar on that equipment. I'll just, I'll save you some time. If anybody wants to buy some old equipment, by the way, let me know. So we had like this area that we called our follies. And so we would take things that didn't work and we would put them over there. And when we first got this stuff together and it didn't work and we were trying and trying and trying and trying and it was hours. And by the way, I'm not, I am not. This is a, a shout out to the guy earlier who told me he burned the ships to be here. I'm not a burn the ships guy. I don't think you need to burn ships. I'm a nights and weekends guy. I think you need to work harder. That way you don't have a gun to your head financially financially. Because that puts you in a place to make short-term decisions instead of long-term decisions. You always want to be somewhere where you're making long-term decisions. So we were running a software company by day. And then on nights and weekends, we were building Quest. We were making the bars at first by hand. Then we were getting the machines and trying to figure that out. And then when it didn't work, one of my partners was a literal Iowa farm boy. And he had worked on tractors his whole life. And he's watching the line one day as it's just all going to hell and he's like, I think I can fix this. And we're like, okay. And he was like, no, no, no. You're going to have to let me cut it apart, though. And if it doesn't work, then we're out. It was like all of our money. And we're like, whoa. Now you have to keep in mind, I went to Lisa and I said, hey, we're going to have to put our house up as collateral for this company. And if we fail, then we lose everything. And she literally, without missing a beat, she says, I bet on you. That, that is, that was one of those things where literally in the moment I was like, <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> Which she has so many times. That woman, she is for real, ride or die. But in that moment where he's like, hey, I want to cut this shit apart and then put it back together. But if it doesn't work, then we're out the money. I'm thinking I'd be out of my house. And the one conversation that I don't want to have with my wife is, Hey, you know, we, we had literally, I think just gotten the house like six or eight months before that. So I was like, I do not want to have that conversation. And so that's where the, the mentality of burning the ships becomes important, but tie it to something that is already real. It's already there. There's no way around it. You're not going out of your way to create more problems for yourself. So I was not going to lose that house. And so that became like the thing in my mind. All right, we're going to try this, but we are going to make it work. And so he literally got a sawzall out and a blowtorch. He cut that shit apart. He put it back together and it actually fucking worked. And that was one of those moments where you're like, whoa, man, you really do have to have a certain appetite for risk. And so that's the third thing I'm going to say you guys need to do. You've got to give yourself permission to royally fuck up. Because if you're afraid to royally fuck up, if you're afraid to lose the house, it's okay to say, I'm, I'm not gonna do it, man. I'm gonna fucking fight and push and I'm gonna do everything I can to stop it. But if you're not willing to accept those kinds of consequences, you will have to play it smaller. So you've gotta give yourself permission to royally fuck up. Now, why am I not afraid of royally fucking up? Because I know one thing. This is so fucking important. Failure is the single most information-rich data stream that exists. You will never learn faster from anything than you'll learn from failure. One, pain, psychic pain, triggers all kinds of things in your brain. The hippocampus becomes more active. Your amygdala becomes more active. You write the memories harder. Your brain focuses on it more. So there's just this intensity that happens when you fail. Also, failure is essentially... The closest thing you're going to get to a sporting result. The nice thing about sports, and part of the reason they become like this gladiatorial thing that we obsess over and think about is because you know who won and you know who lost. You know who's the best. You know who's the worst. You can see the fucking stats. You watch it happen before your eyes. It's very hard in life. We don't often get that. Does my boss like me? Do they not like me? Am I going to get the promotion? Am I doing what I want? Should I even be in this job? Like you have no fucking idea. And then you make a decision and you don't know, like, would it have worked out better the other way? Who knows? You never get to try it. So when life slaps you in the mouth and you realize that you've really made a catastrophic error, then if you can approach it defenselessly, meaning you're not trying to protect your ego because you wisely have already promised yourself that you're not going to tie your ego to the outcome You're going to tie it to the sincere pursuit. So you need only ask yourself one question in attempting that thing that I just failed catastrophically. Was I sincerely pursuing the right outcome? And if the answer was yes, you get to feel good about yourself. And so you step into that moment saying, I tried and I failed. I know that failure is the most information data rich stream that there is. So what is the lesson here? And getting good at teasing that out and facing even more than I'll say figuring it out, facing what you've done wrong, owning it, accepting it, allows you to not make that mistake the next time. And my encouragement to you guys is never judge yourself to the lens of a moment. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up a lot. And if you loop negatively over that mistake, it just isn't effective. And I always tell people, do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. Like if you just repeat that one obsessively in your head, then one day you're going to get to a point where you do something and really makes you dislike yourself. And you're going to have to ask, does disliking myself move me forward or not? If it moves me forward, then I'm going to do it. But chances are, it's not going to, you may want to feel the sting of it. That may really propel you forward, but you don't want to exist in that state where you're just allowing yourself to beat yourself up because no good ever comes of that. At that point, it is simply punishment. And so you have to ask yourself the value of that punishment, the value of the duration of the punishment. And so I began to be able to talk myself out of these self-limiting ideas, these beliefs about myself not being able to do it simply because I said I'm willing to live, even if I don't believe it, I'm willing to live by the edict that I should only do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. And I had this thing in me. I wanted to punish myself. I wanted to beat myself up when I did something stupid. I, want it. I certainly started thinking less and less of myself. And it just became ever more clear that that wasn't serving me. It wasn't propelling me forward. And so building in these beliefs, rules in your life, become the foundation upon which you're going to build. And so this notion of building something brick by brick of looking at your life on a long timeline, of not judging yourself in a moment, but rather, I like to look at myself in 10-year increments. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, look at your life in a 10-year increment because maybe over a month, you didn't do anything very interesting. You can't really put your finger on what you've learned or who you've met or have you really made any progress? Maybe you had a bad year. And so looking at that year, you're like, damn, man, I really moved backwards. And I asked this question one time of a guy that went through his residency and i said he was about to become a full-fledged medical doctor in anybody in itu this literally just happened this last week and i said think back 10 years and what you knew about human biology at that point imagine you were going to step out and perform surgery on somebody or be a gp and make recommendations for somebody with the knowledge that you had then what would that feel like he was like that'd be terrifying i'd be terrible And I said, now imagine how much you've learned in that 10 years. And he was like, yeah, fuck." and he's smiling. And I said, now I want you to realize if you play the game right 10 years from now, you're going to think of who you are today the way the you thinks of you 10 years ago. And that's when this shit gets fun. Because when you realize, ah, stumble here, there, failure, fall on your face, whatever, none of it's really going to matter if you're just relentlessly, Learning and learning and learning and learning and learning. And if you're doing that and if you're staying focused, then you're going to be able to begin to stack these bricks and build the thing that you want to build. But to build that thing, you're going to need clarity. The bad news is if I were to sit with you and push you on it, the odds are that you still lack that clarity. Now, clarity is one of those things that I talk a lot about, so I'm not going to beat it to death tonight, but I just want to say however clear you think you are, you're not clear enough yet. And the reason that I can say that just beyond a shadow of a doubt is when you know something from like 10,000 angles, you just know it from every which way, you know exactly like quadrants on a map, you know, precisely latitude, longitude, all of it down to like a grain of sand of where you're trying to head. When you have that, then you really can come at it from any angle. You can divert for a moment because you know where you're going back to. When you don't have that clarity, you're always lost. And that's where most entrepreneurs spend their time. Because remember, if I was the person I wanted to be, I would have walked out tonight and said, the only thing that stands between you and your dreams is a set of skills. And then drop the fucking mic. But I know that that doesn't break through. It doesn't get through to people the way that I want it to. But once you, if you can return to that over and over and over and over. Every time something goes wrong in my life, I am asking myself one simple question. What is it that I suck at? I suck at something. There's something I'm doing wrong. By definition, if I were doing it right, then I would be getting the outcome that I wanted. I'm not getting the outcome that I want. Therefore, I'm doing something wrong. It is all my fault. I'm not trying to feel badly about myself because I am divorced from the outcome. I'm only valuing myself for being a learner, sincerely pursuing. That's it. So I'm not saying all that stuff to kick the shit out of myself, to feel badly about myself, to hold myself back. I'm saying it because the reality, working your ass off, getting good. By the way, this is me at an airport. We had a delay. In fact, anybody see the Tony Robbins episode? That's me stuck in the airport on our way to interview Tony Robbins. And I was like, this motherfucker is going to know I know who he is. The intro was like broken into chapter and verse. I had that shit down. He actually, I don't remember if it made the final cut, but he was like, yo, I'm sorry you had to read all that. I was like, Tony, I needed you to know. I know who the fuck you are, Tony. But like really going in heads down, like just, just believe this. This is my new obsession. The human animal, we don't have big fangs, we don't have sharp claws, what we have is the ability to change. We're crazy f-ing adaptive. And I'm sure you guys have heard the quote, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but rather the most adaptive to change. Our ability to change is unparalleled. There is no other animal that you can find in the number of locations that you can find us. My famous before and after. Hey, nothing quite like standing in front of a group of people in your underwear, twice. Uh, I would like to point out my wife put these together. Um, Well, first, let's talk about the one on the left. This is one of my favorite stories. So I had been lifting, believe it or not, for a long time over on the, uh, I guess... Your guys' is left, yeah. So, on the left, my, my heavy picture. I've been lifting and lifting and lifting and lifting. And I went to see this friend that I hadn't seen in years. And I wore my tightest shirt. And I was like, oh, man, she's going to say something. And my wife knew how excited I was. I was like, she's going to see me and be like, oh, my God, you got so buff. what did you do? And sat down, spent the whole night with her. And she didn't say a goddamn thing. <laughs> like, didn't even bring it up. And I was like, What? And so, my wife and I are leaving. That lovely, beautiful woman who introduced me. And she said, when I asked, I said, yo, can you believe Sophie didn't say anything? And she was like, oh, maybe she just saw you got fat. (laughs) What'd you say? (laughs) That's a possibility? I was, what? What? I was literally beside myself. That is actually the night that that was said to me. I was like, all right, we're taking that fucking before picture right now. (laughs) Right this very second. And then it's about an unending amount of work. There are two years in between these pictures, two grueling years of fighting with my wife because she was telling me that I was dieting wrong and I was so fucking hungry, I could not hear that shit. You can't try to take a man's fat burger when he's doing 2 hours of cardio a fucking day, all right? That's icy shit. But when you put in the work, you and the body is is a really fucking tangible example of just how much change the human body is capable of. And so when you see what you can do to your body, it is this insanely powerful reminder of just how much adaptation you're capable of. And that game of adaptation, like once you buy into, I am an average human. The average human is capable of extraordinary adaptation. Adaptation follows certain rules. All I have to do to become extraordinary and get where I want to go is follow the rules of adaptation. That is the fuck gospel truth that's it that is the name of this game that is how you acquire skills you do what is called deliberate practice read the book the talent code read the book the talent code it's on my list so everybody in this room of course has already read all the books on my list right i want some people to step forward and i want you to tell me what you're afraid of i want to know why You don't think you're going to make it. We have a brave soul. Let's hear it. Yeah. Give it up for that. I'm afraid of getting to the end of my life and realizing that I did not become the best version of myself, knowing that I got to the very end of my life and I did not accomplish every single thing I know I believe in my heart that I deserve to have. And I know the only thing that's stopping me is myself. I love that. I think that's the right fear. And I think all of us should have some form of that fear, which if you didn't hear, is to have a vision of the person you could become and to reach the pearly gates as it were, see who you could have been Contrast it with who you actually are and be disappointed by the gap between them. And I love chasing that. I think it's a beautiful chase. But what I hope you guys will do, if you ever find yourself at the pearly gates disappointed in how much farther you could have gone, to simply ask one question of yourself every day Did I give it my all today? Doesn't mean you're always going to win. Yeah. If your life is a series of yes I did, you've won, you've won. Guys, the struggle is guaranteed, the struggle is guaranteed, the struggle is guaranteed, the success is not. And like the thing that I beg you guys is to have the guts to fail at something that you love And when you were on the mud, on your face, and people are laughing, the I told you so's are coming out, that you remember one simple fact. You loved what you were doing, and you left it out on the field. What the f*** else is there? Legitimately, like I'm getting emotional, what the f*** else is there? What more can you ask of yourself than to really fucking try to really say, I give a shit about this? that's the life to live. That's the life. Like to say, I care about this. It matters. It gives me purpose. I'm going to fight for this. This is a group of people I want to serve. And I'm going to go all the way out every day. And look, you're not going to hit it every day. There's going to be days where you're off. There's going to be days where you're weak. Weak. But if that day, instead of bull instead of saying, I wasn't weak today, what are you talking about? If that day you fucking own it, and you say, yeah, I was weak today, and I'm not going to be weak tomorrow, but I'm not afraid to face that. I'm not afraid to accept that I'm not perfect. I'm not afraid to look in the mirror and say, today was a bad day, that I didn't make myself proud today, but that shouldn't diminish who you are. It shouldn't diminish your view of yourself. Why? Because I wouldn't serve you. Because if you beat yourself up today, you make it harder for you to be rad tomorrow. It's a game that has to be seen in total. It's not a game where you can take a fucking snapshot. And this is like what I want you guys to understand. In any one moment, I've looked like a fool so many fucking times I can't count. and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. But when I look at my life in 10-year chunks, I'm freaked out by what I've accomplished. So I'm okay if I don't become the ultimate version of what I could become. But I won't tolerate not trying. Well some of my limiting beliefs are that I'm not good enough and I I don't deserve the success that I have right now. So I keep fighting those limiting beliefs in my mind. Now They are getting better. That little speech actually helped a ton. But it's am I ever going to be good enough? And am I worthy of this success? this is one of the most common reframes ever, worth, being good enough, being right, being smart. Because these are very fragile ways to think of yourself. And I understand the temptation because it feels really good when you do feel worthy. It feels really good when you are right. It feels really good to actually be the best at something. But the truth of the world, just the truth of the world, it is this way. You're always going to encounter somebody better, stronger, faster, more pious, more worthy, more whatever. So if you live in a world of comparison, it will rob you of your joy. Even people who like Michael Jordan, if you put him right now up against most rookies, the rookie's going to win. Rookie's younger, faster, hungrier. Michael's just lost his step. He's gotten old. So if he were trying to make his life about his glory in that period, let's say he lives 80 years. If he's living for the glory of 20 years, that's the most heartbreaking life I can imagine. So you're going to move in and out of these moments where you are a badass to where you're not a badass. Don't value yourself for that. Value yourself for something that is anti-fragile. Being smart, being right, being good, being worthy, they are very fragile things because sometimes you won't be. It simply is this way. Valuing yourself for being a learner, on the other hand, for trying, that's anti-fragile. Because the more somebody attacks you for being dumb, but you build your self-esteem around learning, the first thing I think when someone says I'm dumb is awesome. In what way? Because I view myself in these 10 year windows. And I know the same people that were laughing at me when I became an entrepreneur, knew nothing about it, and I was who's the kid in the server room, and I was the only one with an office that had no windows, and there were like nine other computers in my room, and nobody knew who I was, and the only contribution I made to phone calls was to say goodbye at the end of a conference call. I'm not kidding. 10 years later, I own a billion dollar business. Who the fuck is laughing now? But it only worked because I didn't mind looking stupid. It only worked because I wasn't asking myself whether I was worthy or whether I deserved it. I just asked myself, am I leaving it all out on the field? Yes or no? Am I learning? Yes or no? And if I'm not, I didn't go, oh, that makes me a bad person. I went, I need to change my actions to get a different result. And once you start thinking like that, and you literally value yourself for how hard you're trying, how much you're learning, how willing you are to accept when you fall on your face so you don't try to get out from under it or campaign to convince people that you're better than you really are. fucking own where you're at. Because once you're real about it, then you can make progress. But if your energy cycles go to bullshitting yourself, you'll never get out of it. Um, so for me, it's... My happiness now, I believe that's as happy as I can be. And it's hard to realize that there is progression and I make that progression. That it's not going through four years of school to make that progression. It's actively participating in my own life and being able to bounce back and forth between those as a human. Dude, that's raw. Thank you for that, by the way. Please, honor that. That was beautiful. So here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is by nature transient. Happiness is also a neurochemical state. And for me, to get out from under my brain, I finally had to understand that neurochemistry is fickle. And it changes from one minute to the next. In fact, who's ever had a day, in the same day, where you thought, I'm so fucking amazing. Like, this shit is crazy. For real, are other people this good at anything? Like, I'm the shit. And then, I'm not joking, 40 minutes later, you're like, oh, fuck, and I am spastic. I can't believe it. I'm never gonna succeed. Like, this is a joke. I'm a total piece of shit. Who's ever been there? All right, that's essentially universal hands in the air. So just know the next time that you have one of those down moments, remember, everybody else is feeling that. The joke is on all of us. We're all feeling it, but we think we're the only ones, so we hide it. So we get in these loops about happiness. Look, happiness comes and goes. It's super transient. You're going to feel it one minute. You're not going to feel it the next. That is the nature of things. Burn that notion into your head. That is the nature of things. All right, well, if I know that it's there, if I know that it's predictable, then I'm not going to let it whip me into a frenzy. I know that as I'm sure Mr. Jay Shetty would say, this too shall pass. Learn that phrase and learn it well. This too shall pass. The highs will pass. The lows will pass. So don't focus on happiness. It's too transient. Focus on fulfillment. Fulfillment is defined very simply. You work very hard for a set of skills that have meaning to you. You care about them in and of themselves. And those skills that you have worked so hard to obtain, they allow you to serve not only yourself but others. That's the key to making this highly social animal fulfilled and to have something that sustains over time. Fulfillment is born of suffering. It's born of doing the hard things. So even in those dark moments, you can see beauty You can experience the joy of being alive. You can experience the joy of having loved ones because it endures. Fulfillment endures. Now, you're not going to feel the neurochemical high of it all the time. But when you look inward and ask yourself, am I busting my ass to serve not only myself but others? If the answer is yes, it's really hard to keep feeling badly about yourself. Focus on fulfillment and you will make yourself impervious to the sways that is happiness. Uh, mine is as a single father of three beautiful girls. I, I have limited time with them. I want to know if I'm giving everything I can that, that I'm making an impact. And I'm always worried that what little time that I have, do they feel love? Do they feel value? Am I instilling that in them? And that's my biggest thing is everything I'm doing is a drive to be able to progress in life where I can make the best out of them where they have value in themselves. So here's the great news for all the parents in the audience. You're going to fuck it up. and all of your parents fucked it up but you can make them feel love man and at the end of the day i will tell you this right now my mom fucked up so much shit is crazy but i never doubted that she loved me not once and because of that i had a rock now here's the truth about taking risks and everyone in this room is willing to take risks, that's why you're willing to dream, that's why you guys are going to execute against that, and the way to take risks is to have a very safe and stable home life. You're gonna make mistakes, man, and it's okay. You're gonna learn from those mistakes and you're gonna get better, and as long as the thing that sits at the core of your relationship to those little girls is dad loves us, nothing else matters. If you make them feel that, dude, everything else will be irrelevant. If you get them into the world, knowing that they are loved at an absurd level, everything's gonna be okay. So for a long time, most of my life, it's been that I can't do something, can't do something that's just something I told myself, and my self-talk, negative self-talk, and then it got to a point where it's like I can and I can do this, but the can didn't become something that was deep. It wasn't based, I think, on a solid foundation because I have the fear of thinking now that it's not that I can't. The fear is that I can. So I'm trying to break through the can. So... That's where I am right now. I love that. And I think that's the right fear. Once you realize you meet minimum requirements, you should be afraid. Okay, I can. And now it's all a question of, am I actually going to do it? And am I going to follow through with it? And then I'm going to say to you, you're focused on the wrong thing. Because it doesn't matter if you're ever successful. Because truly, and to give you guys a a little bit of my background, I went from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car to helping build this technology company. I was hired as a copywriter and I worked my way up. I became a multimillionaire inside that company on paper. And I was miserable, miserable. And I thought, this is a joke. I'm living the cliche of money can't buy happiness. What the fuck, how many people had to say it and I still didn't believe it? Like how many people literally have to tell you money is not going to give you the thing that you want? I've had every opportunity up here to be like, yeah, motherfuckers, get rich that shit is cool as hell and here's the thing people will chase money forever why because it's real money is real money is powerful but money's not at all what you think it is you think when it comes to success like getting there making it achieving it the way that you see somebody that's achieved it now however you define that and you look at them and you think oh my god they're amazing you think you're going to think the same thing about yourself and you won't And I had the very good fortune, my wealth came all at once. I built a company, I had tons of equity in the company, I was worth hundreds of millions of dollars on paper, but I was still driving a beat up car and my life was whatever, I was in a normal house, I was making a good salary, no need to feel sorry for me. But in terms of like the wealth moment, it literally came in an instant. It was, all right guys, the money's been wired and you hit refresh on your bank account. refresh, 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 refresh. refresh. And then, bam, you're fucking crazy rich. And it's like commas and zeros, and you're like, holy shit! I don't feel any differently about myself. And all of my insecurities, all the things that I beat myself up for, all of it, still right here. It literally didn't change anything. I could buy neater stuff, but the only thing, like if you want to know what money really does, money lets you build. I'm building impact theory, I'm going to win because I have the intensity and I have the capital. That's money, but money doesn't touch who you are. So my thing is, I may go broke building impact theory. That, that is a reality because I know the struggle's guaranteed, the success isn't. So it's very possible, I'm betting my fortune right now on building this thing, eh, maybe it doesn't work, but that won't touch how I feel about myself. Losing the money won't touch how I feel about myself any more than making the money couldn't touch how I felt about myself. Because you either do the internal work of like, I know who I am. The thing that you'll resent isn't whether or not you make it. The thing that you'll resent is, now that you know you can, will you actually try? (laughs) Trying is what you're gonna judge yourself on. Hey, don't cheer on that. That shit is scary. That's the one I want you guys to think about today. Because none of you, your family won't weep for you if you don't succeed. Two things will happen on your deathbed if you failed. You really went for something and you failed. One, they will all mourn that you weren't able to live your life because you were so myopically focused on the goal that you forgot to enjoy the journey and somewhere along the way you stopped loving. You stopped loving them, you stopped loving yourself because all you could see was succeeding, getting that thing, the tick on the paper box, and you lost your way. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two is they're like, hey, this motherfucker cried, and it was inspiring. And just to see them go day after day after day in the face of so much defeat, but to have the will and determination to keep going. Winston Churchill said, and I quote, success is going from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. It doesn't matter if you win. That's not success. The success is going from the failure to the failure to the failure and still being excited to show up. It's like, this is how I liken success. Success is like love. You know the beautiful part about love? Getting the shit kicked out of you and then coming back for more. That's so hopeful. That's so optimistic to be like, whoa, I just had my ass handed to me. And yet I want to be vulnerable again. I want to go through this again. I want to open myself up to this. I want to be touched by that. I want to feel that. Fucking people can get behind that, man. We can get excited about that. We want to be friends with people like that. We want to feel that in our own lives, that willingness to to have tasted defeat and still come in open and not jaded. How beautiful is that? So I promise the only thing you will ever judge yourself for is whether or not you tried. And since succeeding doesn't matter, you might as well try. You've written before about having no direction when you were younger until you realized a growth mindset and applied yourself. What was and how did you find the original motivation to see change and break out of your old patterns? I find that's one of the hardest things. All right. So this is, of course, a very complex um, answer to give you like every nitty gritty thing of how I ended up finally making that shift would be, it would take like a six part, uh, docu series, you know, of four hours each, but I'll shorten it to the, the like trigger moment that really changed everything. So I go to my now father-in-law to ask for his blessing to marry his daughter. And he says, no. And I was like, whoa, okay, well, at least you're being honest. And uh, I had said, look, I know what you see is this young, broke, undereducated kid, but I promise one day I'm going to make your daughter a wealthy woman. And he was like, very kind, very kind. My father-in-law has always been extraordinarily kind to me, but he was nonetheless honest about that he didn't see how I was going to take care of his daughter. And he even asked me directly, he said, look, I have become very successful, my father-in-law, and I have given Lisa a certain lifestyle. And how do you plan to take care of her? And I was like, so full of that youthful, like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to become something. And then I had to reconcile that idea because she ended up saying yes. And then I found myself laying in bed four to five hours a day, every day. And I didn't have a job and I was living in my soon to be mother-in-law's house and my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, fiance, uh, was working. And my one job was to make a sandwich for her when she came home at lunch. And there were times where I was scrambling out of bed to have that sandwich made before she walked in the door. And I was just like, this is gnarly how are you ever going to make her wealthy? If you're laying in bed all day, you barely get out of bed fast enough to make her a sandwich at her lunch break. So she's already been at work for hours and hours and hours, gotten up, gotten dressed, ready, driven to work, gone, worked for hours, come back home to see you. You're scrambling out of bed. Your hair is a mess. You're wearing the same thing every day and not like in a Steve Jobs way, in a like, I'm too lazy to get clothes way. So you look like a bum, not doing your hair. I was a total mess. And I'm just like, how do I reconcile that? I actually believe one day I'm going to make her a wealthy woman, but I'm not getting out of bed. And that was when I realized there's a difference between ambition, being a dreamer and having drive and seeing those dreams to fruition. And so I set a rule for myself because I felt ashamed. And for the first time in my life, I didn't try to hide from the shame, but it was in this period that I started to think of my then fiance, soon to be wife, as a witness to my crimes. And I remember thinking when I was alone, I didn't feel that kind of pressure to succeed. I wanted to succeed, but I didn't feel pressure because if I didn't, Nobody suffered but me. Nobody lived in the unfurnished apartment but me. Nobody had to sleep on the air mattress but me. But now my wife-to-be was going to be affected by whether I laid in bed all day or not. And that filled me with shame. And it filled me with shame in a way that I didn't want to hide from. I felt like it was right to be ashamed of my behavior. Not to think I was worthless, but to, to say I need to earn my worth. And so I set a rule, which is that I was going to get out of bed in 10 minutes or less. So from the time I realized I was awake until my feet were on the floor and I was out of bed was never going to be more than 10 minutes. And in many ways, that's become one of my most important rules. I live by it to this day, some 20 years later that I get out of bed in 10 minutes or less. Doesn't matter. No matter what's going on, I'm out of bed in 10 minutes or less. and that one step got me to start working and it got me up and saying, okay, what are my dreams? What's the obstacle that stands between where I'm at and where I'm trying to get to? What can I do in the next 15 minutes that will move me closer to my goal? And I started doing those things and it just became this routine, this habit to get up and get moving. And I never would have gotten there had I said something like, who does my father-in-law think he is to say that? Money doesn't matter. You know, he doesn't know what we're about or what we want to do. And instead, I said, either stop saying that you're going to achieve greatness and recognize what you want to do is lay in bed. Tell your fiance that's the truth of who you want to be and where you want to go, which by the way, is absolutely fine. But don't say you're going to do one thing and then actually do another. There's no integrity in that. And that hurt. And I didn't like the way that felt to recognize that I was saying something, but it was just rhetoric, wasn't actually living up to it. And then it felt so good, so good, so unbelievably good to do exactly what I said I was going to do. And on a very long timeline, it finally made my wife a wealthy woman. So I actually did get this incredible moment, which will remain one of the greatest moments of my life, I'm sure forever, when, Jesus, 13 years later, my father-in-law came to visit. And this is when I was at Quest and there's 300,000 square feet, a thousand employees walking around, protein bars coming off the line at like 1.5 million bars a day. And I said, Andreas, do you remember asking me how I was going to take care of your daughter? He said, yes. And I said, how am I doing? And he just started to cry. And it was so awesome. Like I said, he had always been so kind. And once we he knew that we were going to get married, whether uh, he wanted us to or not, he never did anything but support us. But to have that moment for myself, for him, for Lisa for it to all have been the result of a simple rule to get out within 10 minutes and start doing whatever my goals demand. How can you escape and start to do what you love without compromising your responsibility to your family? I'm a father who works eight hours a day, five days a week. Is it still possible for me to pursue what I love and how? I know I need to come up with an escape plan I just feel it's too risky. Okay, nights and weekends, nights and weekends, nights and weekends. So I get it. Between working your job and the kids, it is not going to be easy. You either have to find a job that pays you what you're getting paid now that's at least closer to what you love, or you need to find a way in your spare time to put energy into getting the skills you need to get a job that's going to move you closer or to start your own business or whatever. But when we started Quest, we were running Awareness Technologies, a software company, by day. So I was working a full, not like 40-hour week, 70-hour week, and then on top of that, doing all the things that Quest demanded to get that off the ground, literally, late night with rolling pins in our hands, making these damn bars by hand. And it wasn't until they were profitable that we started to transition. And when I first transitioned from Awareness to Quest, I took a massive pay cut. So I took all my expenses, whittled them down to as close to nothing as I could get them. I sold one of our cars. And so I was at times having to bum rides off my employees. Lisa and I stopped going out to eat. We hunkered down. It was as inexpensive of a diet as you can get. No entertainment or at least hyper cheap entertainment. And... Just cutting our expenses to the quick as much as humanly possible and living off of as little as possible so that we could build that dream. And again, doing it where you're working a hundred, 110 hour weeks. It's just what it takes, but it was fun. So you have to get yourself where you know what you want to do. And the thing that you want to do, the doing of it is enjoyable. So there should be amount of just joy in doing that thing. The greatest trick I have ever pulled was in the structuring of impact theory. So uh, exit quest, sell it for a billion dollars, never need to work again. And when you know what you want is meaning and purpose, you know you want to build something new, but you start asking yourself, I'm not going to turn this into something that I don't enjoy. So what is it that I would like doing on a day-to-day basis where even if I were struggling, even if I were failing, that I would love my day-to-day life And then I built that. So there is a job out there. There is a company out there. There is a side hustle that you can do that the doing of the thing is call it at least 70% joy. There's always going to be overhead. There's always going to be stuff that you don't enjoy doing. But if you can get that ratio to 70-30, you're laughing. But you have to be very careful about what you decide to march towards. That dream, test it out. You better actually like in failure the day to day. So we're struggling. It's not going the way that we thought, but man, I'm still getting to do this, right? At Impact Theory, if I were failing, I get to answer rad questions. I get to spend time with people that are trying to improve their life. I get to write manga, like, come on, it's amazing. So even if I fail, my day-to-day is extraordinarily joyful. So that, as you think about building that escape plan, those are the things to think about how do you overcome the inner voice that keeps telling you that it's too late to redefine your life or take the time needed for redefinition at 36 i'm scared more than ever to lose therefore not trying these what ifs are shaping my fears okay here's the good news at 36 homie you are young you are young the average person lives at 78 so it's like what are you you're roughly halfway So you've still got a lot of years left. To me, I think you can work all out. I work 93 hours a week. I think I can work all out 93 hours a week until at least 65. Now, I wanna stay in such great shape that I can push that. And by the time I get to 65, I'm like, 65, why would I have to slow down now? 75, let's go. So doing the things that I love, making sure that I'm taking care of my mental health, making sure that I'm taking care of my physical body, right? I treat my mind and my body the way that LeBron treats his. It's like business is my game. And I want to play this game for as long as humanly possible. So the real question is, what is it that you can fall in love with enough that makes all the fighting through the negative voice and all of that worth it? So That's number one, is just to recognize that you've got a long timeline ahead of you. But let's say that the person that's asking this question is 65 and they're like, oh my God, the technical revolution that's going on. I don't want to have to learn this stuff. Stop. That's just being afraid of change. There is a process that you can go through that instead of being about change is about falling in love. But it starts with belief. Your behaviors follow your belief. And if you believe that you're too old to learn something new, then you won't learn something new. So what I want you to do is focus on how fun learning is. It doesn't even need to be this big change or swing in your life. Just the act of learning is fun. The second thing I want you to focus on is that when Nobel Prizes are won, they are typically won where two big areas overlap. So in reinventing yourself, you're not getting rid of all of your old experience. It's going to age you in ways that you can't yet understand. So for instance, I went from technology, building security software. Well, first filmmaking, right? Teaching film to building security software as random as you get. So seem like, oh, there's no overlap here. Then I went from... And what I realized was being a filmmaker made me a better marketer. Then at Awareness Technologies, I've learned all this tech. I've learned much more about marketing. Now I go into nutrition and I realize, okay, hold on. All the things that I learned about marketing and storytelling now go into Quest and in fact, was one of the reasons that we grew as fast as we did was I was approaching content creation as a storyteller and not as a traditional advertiser or marketer would. And so I did that before other people were doing it because I had the experience in the other areas. Now, if I hadn't had the experience in those other areas that it seemed like I was leaving behind, I was just reinventing myself, then... I'm sure that would have been super scary. But the reality was recognizing, whoa, like all of this stuff comes with me. I'm bringing this experience with me. And now as I went from quest to impact theory, I've been able to see things very clearly. So take when we first started into comics, we were in physical print comics. We spent about four months in physical print comics. I realized how their distribution works. I was like, this is a joke. You have to be kidding. All my experience at Quest, you know, with like 40,000 points of distribution or whatever was massive, tens, tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of individual points of distribution. You get reporting on all of it. You know exactly where your product is going. It's incredible. So I was like, the way that they're reporting over here in the comic industry is a joke. You will never be able to sell very well. This is obviously going to die. So we immediately got out of that and went purely digital. Now I wouldn't have had that insight had I not had the experience. So it's recognizing having a different belief about your previous experience, what your age means. If you let your age determine that, oh, You know, there's very little life left for me to live and I'm trying to retire by 50 or whatever it is story that you're telling yourself. You tell yourself a different story, which is that the more I learn, the more different areas that I can really develop some mastery in, the more likely I am to have fun and be successful as I go along. And that's a critical thing. And then the last one, this is a weird game. Are you ready for it? It's what I call the brain in a vat thought experiment. This sounds dumb, but the number of mental traps this gets me out of is extraordinary. So what I say, if I'm lamenting that, oh my God, I'm 45, like, am I ever going to be able to pull off the things that I want? I would say this to myself, Tom, for all, you know, you're a brain in a vat and that all of this is an illusion. And I mean that literally that first of all, everything that you see really is an illusion, Your brain is encased in total darkness and yet you feel like you see all this stuff, but light never actually touches your brain. Let that sink in. And, but it's even possible that this is actually a simulation, like matrix style simulation. I'll let you can do the research on that to see that mathematically, it's actually more probable that you're in a simulation than you're not. Now, I actually don't believe you are, but it's a fascinating thought experiment that has some credibility to it. So, okay, since this could be a simulation, what if... I just became conscious this moment. And everything prior to this moment is just programmatic context that's needed for my human brain to work the way that it's supposed to work. And so age is literally just a number. The belief that I have that, you know, I'm getting over the hill and it's probably too late for me and it's too late to, you know, reinvent myself and I've got mortgage and I've got kids and, you know, it's just irresponsible for me. Ah, those are all beliefs that were programmed in me to get me to act a certain way now. So if I could change those beliefs, it would give me different feelings and different behaviors right now. And since this is all just a simulation anyway, and none of those are real, I don't have to feel beholden to those. Now I know how absurd that sounds. Remember, I don't actually think we are in a simulation. I don't actually think that I'm a brain in a vat other than just the way that the human animal actually is. But running that thought experiment reminds you of one simple truth. Your beliefs govern your behaviors. So if your beliefs govern your behaviors, and by the way, beliefs are not recognized truth. They're simply choices that you've made along the way. Beliefs are not objective truth. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. You have to recognize that. So there are decisions that you've made about what you're going to believe in. So, okay, if these are just decisions that I've made, then I can make different decisions. I can believe different things. And if my behaviors are governed by my beliefs and I change my beliefs, then I will change my behaviors. And so that's what I would do if I were having a thought like that. And then I would just remind myself, I love learning new shit. So now I'm just gonna go learn something that could lead me down a path that I wanna go down and recognize that it's gonna take a long ass time. And that's fine because it's fun learning and getting better balance having a sense of urgency and being patient these ideas seem paradoxical and these ideas are paradoxical so first of all i'm not a big fan of being patient so uh, i used to wear a shirt that said f patience as in f- patience and when people talk about patience i know what they mean so I, I can already hear people typing in the feed that you have to have patience and i will say this you do not have to have patience you have to play the long game And the reason that I worry about patience is if you're trying to achieve something grand in your life, you're going to come up against an unrelenting number of obstacles. And an easy way to analogize it is a rocket and what's known as escape velocity. For you to escape the gravitational pull of the earth, you have to get going at a certain speed and then you can finally break free. If you cannot get to that speed and sustain it, you will never reach escape velocity, and you will always come crashing back down to earth. So to accomplish anything grand, you have to get that escape velocity. That escape velocity requires that you generate momentum. To generate momentum, you have to move as as if everything has to be done right now today. Now, of course, you're never going to be able to do everything right now today, but if you're constantly like, oh, just be patient, things will happen in due time, it gives you a passive posture. If on the other hand, you switch it ever so slightly and you say, look, most things do take an incredible amount of time. So I'm gonna play this sustainably. I'm gonna show up every day in a way that I can show up for decades, okay? I'm not gonna burn myself out or go so crazy that it's not fun. I'm gonna love this. In fact, joy is a part of sustaining it. So I'm going to play this in a way that I can sustain that's full of joy, that gives me fulfillment, but I'm going to do everything with urgency. I'm going to do things as fast as I can, I'm going to be as bold as I can, and by being bold and moving with urgency but playing in a sustainable way that fills me with joy and fulfillment, now I've actually got a shot of hitting escape velocity. Now as I hit obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, I'm never accidentally waiting for something or someone else because I'm in a hey, it's all good, you know, take your time. Don't be patient. Don't be a dick either. If people think that the opposite of patient is dickhead, then yeah, of course, I understand why you push back on it. But the opposite of patient is not dickhead. The opposite of patient is persistence, enthusiasm, joy, momentum. Like that's the opposite of patient. You always have to play the long game. You always move with integrity. You always go for the referral and never the sale. Because those are the things that actually allow you to go fast. I'm just saying, do the things that actually allow you to go fast. Stop thinking you need to be patient in order to be kind. Stop thinking you need to be patient in order to love your life. You don't need to be. Patience is not going to serve you. Anything that makes you passive is going to be a problem. Never play the short game. Never try to cram something down somebody's throat. Find a way to make this joyful. It's the only way to play the game for a long time. But never put off till tomorrow what you could do today and never put off till this afternoon what you could do right now and never do the second most important thing first. Ask yourself this question. What would I have to do to make my 10-year plan come true in six months? Shout out to Peter Thiel for that question. It will force you to think of radically new scenarios. It's not about incremental improvement, it's about quantum leaps forward. Now, when you start thinking like that, you can actually build something big. But if you're prepared to be patient and let, let things happen in due time, things don't happen like that. The second law of thermodynamics states everything moves towards chaos. And the only way to defeat that chaos is to pour energy into the system. Patience is not energy poured into the system. Pour energy into the system. But do it in a joyful way. How do I become so focused on my individual journey and goals that I stop comparing myself and translating the success of those around me to mean that I've failed? Okay, time for another silly idea that's obscenely impactful. Fill your heart with love. You've got to want to see other people succeed. You've got to get excited by that. You've got to want to help other people. When you have a heart full of love, you're excited to see other people win You want to see other people win and you want to beat them at their own game, that you want to go head to head to them in a fair competition where you're even doing kindnesses and helping them and still win. Now you're playing the game right. That's going to put you in a position where emotionally it doesn't hurt anymore to see them win because you're like, fuck, I love that. I love to see good people win. I love to see people doing something innovative. I love to be inspired by what other people are doing. And I'm not going to judge myself through the lens of a moment. I'm going to judge myself through the lens of a lifetime. So maybe in a moment they're ahead of me. Maybe right now they're doing this better than me but I'm playing this forever. This is a forever game. I want to be in this for a long ass time. And so cool. I'm inspired by what they're doing. I'm stoked that they're winning. I want to celebrate that. It fills me with a light energy. It makes me feel good. I can connect with them more easily. I can celebrate other people. It doesn't always have to be me, which just attracts other people. By the way, people want to be around the person. That's like, oh my God, you're killing it, man. That's so amazing. Look over there. This guy's really doing something special. And by the way, I'm super inspired by that. I'm learning from that. I'm elevating that, then all of a sudden people want to elevate you. They want to help you. And when you're down there in the mix, people are going to come to your aid. Now, here's the important part. What you build your self-esteem around matters, and it matters a lot. And if you build your self-esteem around winning or being better than them, that's a recipe for a miserable life. If, on the other hand, you build your self-esteem around the sincere, Pursuit, the sincere pursuit of something. So I'm trying to build the next Disney. I'm trying to make sure that nobody makes it to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. Okay, word. Will I ever pull it off? Disney has a 90 year head start and billions of dollars on me. So maybe I don't. Maybe I'm never able to pull it off. But I don't value myself. For whether or not I achieve that. In fact. To value myself only for whether or not I have achieved it. Means I have to feel bad the entire journey. There's no logic in that. That doesn't make any sense. The whole punchline of life. Is to feel good about yourself when you're by yourself. To live a life that is full of joy. To be fulfilled. Okay that's the punchline. It's not money. Not wealth. Not fame. Not adulation. Not winning. It's joy. So what I reward myself for emotionally isn't the having of it. It's pursuing it sincerely, not rhetoric, not showing up and saying, Oh, I want to build the next Disney, but it's really just talk. No, no, no. I'm actively trying to figure out what skills I need to get better at, what people I need to get on here, what I need to fix in my approach in order to actually build the next Disney and actually make sure that nobody gets to the age of 15 without encountering a growth mindset. And I'm honest with myself about when I'm making progress towards that and when I'm not. And the reason that I'm so honest with myself, because that always stings when I realize I'm not, it makes me adjust course. and means that I have a much better shot of actually getting there because I actually am really, truly, sincerely trying to get to that goal. I just don't value myself for getting it. I value myself for sincerely actually showing up and doing the things I need to do to make it come true. And so as I struggle and fail and fall down and get back up and wipe the blood off my face and try again, that's the very thing that makes me feel good about myself. And when you make that subtle shift from, oh, I had to win to feel good to I had to play to win to feel good, everything changes in life. Especially when you could be like, damn, the person that just dunked at me, damn, that was impressive. And I'll give you a hint. I practice this with video games. I play a game called Destiny 2. It's a first-person shooter. You're playing against real people, sometimes people that teabag, which is deeply unpleasant emotionally. And and you can get close sometimes, so close. You can taste it. You know you're going to win. And you lose. And then they teabag you. And at that point, you have to be able to say, yo, they played well. They played well. I'm super impressed. I don't like the teabagging, but I'm impressed. And instantly your energy shifts and it's no longer about poor me or I'm a loser. It's just like, damn, that was quality play. And then if you played badly, you don't lie about it. Like, yo, I completely messed that up. Here's what I should have done better. You take that to your real life and you'll have that same light energy. You will constantly refine your skill set. You will constantly get better. And over the course of a life, you'll see that you did something pretty special and that you only valued yourself for the journey anyway. One of you people, even though you know me, you know, my f-ing story, you know, when Lisa said we were in a room with four people, they were her f-ing family. I'd known them for a decade. They asked me to tell a story and I, I literally couldn't speak. I had gotten so anxious, I had let my mind run away with me so much, I could not have people talk to me, I couldn't have them look at me. If there was any expectation that I was gonna talk, my heart would start racing. So nothing that you're seeing right now is the result of, oh, he has natural talent. But I know that's where people go because you do something so much. Like none of you are thinking about, I'm not joking, when I was a kid I wanted to be a stand-up comic. So I would spend hours with a hairbrush in front of the mirror making faces and shit and the fact that now I only have two faces really pisses me off I have big smile and neutral and I look pissed <laughs> literally we just had this conversation yesterday at impact theory and somebody was like you know have you ever thought about standing in front of the mirror yes I've already <laughs> done it I did that when I was 12 god damn it didn't help here we are But you clock so many hours doing something over and over and over that you really, if you do it in a deliberate way, and Daniel Coyle in the book, the talent code breaks down exactly what deliberate practice is. It is not simply repeating something. It is going to the thing you suck at. So you often will hear people say, hey, just figure out what you're good at and do that. I have never, ever, once, ever encountered something where I could get paid to just masturbate. So if that's the deal, then I'm in trouble. But that shit, I took to that fast. I won't lie about that. No training, nothing. I just, I knew what to do. It was amazing. But getting good at other shit that I could actually monetize and do something with That's been a very different story. That's all been about deliberate practice. It's been about figuring out how the brain works, really understanding the brain science of this all, and getting into that and structuring things like that. So you're going, what am I weak at? Where am I not good? What is the thing that I need to focus on? Because once you start doing that, like once you get into, ah... This is what is necessary for me to get where I want to go. This is the gap between where I am and where I want to be. And that gap is made entirely of skills. Then the fear kicks in and you're not going to believe in your ability to cross that chasm. Okay. Now, here's what I want you guys to do. Crossing the fear chasm is actually deadly simple. It's the easiest thing you're going to do, but it requires you to unwind some of your beliefs because Right now, in fact, this is a lot like money. People are going to tell you, ah, oh, money can't buy happiness. And they're, they're going to say, then don't, don't chase it. And you're going to think, but god damn, I have to pay rent. I want to drive a car. I need some gas. I need to eat. And so part of it, when people say that, you're like, yeah, 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 money can't buy happiness. But it f***ing pays for a car payment, and it puts my kids through school, and all of that shit. And so you can't like, ever make it gel, And fear is the same thing, because when you fail, it is going to hurt. You will go through a momentary crisis. I still do. Every time I fail, I go on that roller coaster. The key is how fast can you make that roller coaster? Can you get it to a day from three days? Can you get it from a day to an hour? Can you get it from an hour to a minute, from a minute to a second? Can you get it to the point where it doesn't even register on your face? And that became my goal. I wanted to see how rapidly I could change my emotional state. And could I change my emotional state so quickly that people didn't even realize that I'd had a big reaction internally, that I fell on my face and that it sucked and I was embarrassed and horrified. And when you begin to get that kind of emotional control over things, then you're gonna be able to move forward. So the key to doing that is one, you have to practice shortening the amount of time that that hurts, but the only way that you're gonna be able to do that is letting yourself off the hook. One, to stop thinking the negative voice is going to go away. It almost certainly is not. I've never met anybody who didn't have a negative voice. I've seen monks speak that have been meditating for 40 years and they have a negative voice. It is, this is why I think really understanding the truth of human biology is so f- important. Like important. To, to not be tricked by your brain because you know how it works. You know that there are literal parts of your brain. Its job, its job, its evolutionary function is to worry. There is a region of your brain called the deep limbic system. If you want to really get fucked up, this is so crazy. Read the book by um, V.S. Ramachandran, Phantoms in the Brain. And he talks about syndromes where people get certain parts of their brains damaged. And there is a part of your brain, the deep limbic system, if I fuck that up in you, you no longer experience emotion. So your brain has a region that tells you not what's happening. It tells you how to feel about what's happening. If that doesn't right there already tell you you're living in the matrix, your brain has no intention of, of just giving you like objective data. It's not about that. It's not just saying, there is a thing with fur, a face, a heartbeat, claws, it's six inches, you're dead. Right? It's like, yo, motherfucker, something moved, it's a little bit orange, run like fucking hell. And that's it. And so you have these things, that's their job to keep you alive, to keep you safe. But now you put yourself in a modern context, you have to know what's going on so that you can de escalate that shit. Because more people, or I should say, people are more afraid of speaking at a funeral, giving the eulogy, than they are of being in the fucking casket. Like about the time that you're so afraid of what other people think, you would rather be dead than be embarrassed. That's when you know your mind is not always working for you. Once you begin to realize, oh, my mind is not always working for me. It does not have the same agenda that I have then you can begin to say, okay, how does it work for me? How does it work against me? What are the rules? How can I bend some of these? This is why I'm obsessed with the movie, The Matrix. It is the perfect metaphor for the human condition. I don't think we actually live in a simulation except for the one created in our own minds, right? David Eagleman episode, watch that one. He talks about how your brain is literally encased in total darkness and yet right now, do you not all feel like you're perceiving light? It feels like the fucking light is just getting into your brain, but it is not it is being translated into electrical chemical signals that your brain then translates and creates a virtual representation of what it sees, and it's good enough that you don't bump into too much shit, but it is all f- painted with what the brain thinks you need to stay alive, and one of the things it thinks you need to stay alive is a really fucking negative voice telling you, don't fuck that, man. You're really going to fuck that up. No, for real. People are going to be super embarrassed when you fuck that up. You're probably going to lose your house. By the way, you barely got this job. If you quit this job and go to another job, who knows how long? You've heard the economy's going to turn. What the fuck are you going to do then? Oh, you're going to get laid being broke? Uh Uh-huh. Real sexy in the back of a fucking minivan. And that shit just plays and plays and plays and plays and plays. And if you know it's coming, then you can interrupt it. And you can insert other beliefs that actually make sense because they move you towards your goal, right? Which is why we have to have clarity. So once you have clarity, you know what your goal is. You only believe that which moves you towards your goal. You hear the negative voice. That does not move you towards your goal. You interrupt it because you understand the way the brain works. You hit it with this mantra phrase, whatever rule belief, whatever that thing is. And now you're changing your neurochemical state. So you don't actually feel that oppression, But that's what I want people to understand is all of this, you're living this life in this neurochemical soup. Like shit is going to happen. You're going to feel some kind of way all the time. And that feeling is as real as you let it be. Or you can be like, no, I don't choose to feel that. And then change the narrative and feel something else. And that sounds like just self-helpy words. That shit is real. That is the truth of the human condition. There's a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. Think about that. You have an organ between your ears. It is considered to be the most complex thing in the universe, more complex than the stars, more complex than fucking plants, and if you know anything about photosynthesis, those motherfuckers are not for play. <laughs> I mean, we can get into all the, like, crazy plant shit. That, that's, like, a whole thing. But there are a lot, of lot of really complicated things in this universe, and nothing comes close to the complexity in the human brain. And so beginning to understand how to leverage that thing to not be beholden to it, to really begin to harness its power so that you can move where you want to go, where you can take control of that process and propel yourself forward. But it all comes back to actually understanding how it works. And when you understand that you're living in this neurochemical soup, that all of that stuff is alterable and that it changes through thought alone, That's crazy. Through thought alone, you can change. You can change the physical wiring of your brain, the most complicated thing in the universe, by thinking about changing it. By thinking about changing it. And if there's anyone in this room that is... I. I am not an expert on this, but I find myself deeply, deeply, deeply fascinated by it. If there's anyone here suffering um, from major trauma, something has happened to you, and just a a room this size, I can guarantee a massive percentage of you have, you owe it to yourself to explore medically supervised MDMA or something like that. Now, why? I've never done it. But why do I think if I had a trauma, I guarantee it is the first thing I would do? Why? Because what it's doing, you guys know who Roger Bannister is? Four-minute mile. mile. All right. The notion that the four-minute mile was beyond human capabilities stood for decades. So imagine, for decades, we have professional running, track and field, people going for it. I'm going to do it. No, you're not. It's not possible. The lungs, the heart, they can't handle it. People kept getting close, but nobody could break it. And so everybody just said, look, it is medically impossible. Humans cannot run a four-minute mile. Just fucking accept it and move on. And then one guy was like, no, I refuse to believe that. He was a medical student. And I don't know if some of it came from actually understanding the body. And he was like, there's nothing in the physiology of the human body that would tell you you can't run a fucking second faster. So for decades, this thing stands. Then people started saying, well, maybe somebody could break it, but it would have to be under perfect conditions. It would have to be a windless day, dry conditions. And he would have to be in front of like a big uh, crowd cheering him on to run his best performance ever. And Roger Bannister shows up on a rainy, cold, wet, windy day in front of like 26 people. (laughs) And motherfucker breaks the record. Now that's not the trippy part. The trippy part is 19 days later, somebody else broke the motherfucker, beat his record. It stood for decades. Imagine something standing for 40 years and then within 19 days it's broken again. Within a year, within a year, three people break it in the same race. Once you believe something is possible, once you taste that thing, that other thing, like Tony Hawk, when he was trying to do the 900, he was like, honestly, I didn't know if it could be done. And so once he landed it, then everybody started doing it. And it just became de rigueur, like, yeah, 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 of course, if you can't do the 900, you can't even fucking compete. But it had stood for so long until you could see, oh, it can be done. So the MDMA thing is it puts you in such an altered brain state that you realize you can love yourself again. And when you feel that just fucking intense acceptance and you're looking at the trauma, you're looking at the trauma, do this with somebody who knows what the fuck you're doing. not saying go to Vegas and get ecstasy. (laughs) Medical treatment, MDMA. Find a study. They're out there. But being able to taste that other thing, the other state of loving and accepting yourself totally even though the neurochemistry is going to radically change as you come out of that you've now tasted it you've run the four minute mile you know it is possible you've experienced it you lived it you were there it's not somebody telling you about that shit it is actual to you you know it's possible and that's the fucking thing about success that's what i want you guys to taste i want you to know that this has been broken by somebody just as dumb as you I'm not joking. You look at me as like an after photo. I look at me as a before photo. Like if you show me, this is one of our first offices, but if you show me, and I don't know if you already rolled them, baby, but um, show the the photos of me as a kid. So genius, right? (laughs) Obviously. You can tell that kid's fucking right. He's going places. Uh, I used to wear that all the time. And, yep, there's another one. This, was a, this is a hat I was particularly fond of. So I did not take myself very seriously. So when I always tell the story that uh, my own mother, who was my biggest cheerleader, quietly assumed that I was going to fail when I left for college. There she is. What's up, moms? So she had reason to believe that I was going to fail. I didn't take myself seriously. I didn't take anything seriously. I cheated all the way through high school. And it wasn't until shame, quite frankly, started dragging me out of bed. I was engaged to the lovely and beautiful Mrs. Elizabeth and Yeah. And she would come home this is we were living at her mom's house, by the way. And that's not sexy. <laughs> living at her mom's house, she was working, I wasn't. And my only job was to make her a sandwich when she came home for lunch, because she would come home for lunch. And I would lay in bed saying, I'm gonna get up in five minutes. Five minutes, five, I'm gonna get up in five minutes. And I would lay in bed for three, four, sometimes five hours in the morning. And the only thing that got me up was knowing if I didn't get up right then, I wasn't going to have her sandwich ready when she came. And that was like a shame too deep to bear. (laughs) And so I would scramble down my hair a mess in just sweatpants, the same sweatpants that I wore every day, which she uh, did not find very sexy. And I would make her a sandwich and be kind of mad if she seemed a little off that, you know, I had, I made the sandwich yeah, you know, if you could do your hair, maybe that would be nice. And I was just like, Jesus, ask, ask, ask. (laughs) And finally, I realized, I told her I was going to make her rich. And when I proposed to, when I went to her dad to ask for his blessing to propose to her, he told me no. He wasn't going to give me his blessing. And he asked me a super powerful question. And he said, how are you going to take care of my daughter? I was broke. I didn't have a job. And I said, sir, look, I know what you see is a broke kid who's undereducated from Tacoma, Washington. And what you don't see is that I'm the most ambitious person you've ever met. And I thought he would be moved. And I thought he would be like, you know what, kid? Good on you go marry my daughter. And he didn't. He was like, look, you can have sex with her, but for the love of God, do not marry my daughter. And I'm not joking. He didn't use those words in his defense, but he made it abundantly clear. I'm not old-fashioned, Tom. I'm not old-fashioned. And they have a Greek phrase, sigasiga, which means slowly, slowly. So that became like the mantra for the whole family because everybody knew that Andreas had this whole thing where he wanted me to take it slowly and I was going far too fast for him. And I said, look, sir, I respect what you're saying, but I am going to propose to your daughter. And there I am. She said yes. I gave her the whole speech. I'm going to make you rich. This is going to be fucking amazing. I've got all this ambition. I'm going to make it happen. And as I'm laying in bed, I have a pivotal realization which is that there is a massive chasm between ambition and drive. And I had the ambition and I did not have the drive to see it through, but I was so ashamed of myself that that shame actually propelled me forward because I now had essentially people watching. I had a father-in-law who wanted to know what I was going to make myself. I had my fiance who wanted to know like, if I was really going to be the man that I promised her I was going to be. And so that got me moving, and that got me headed in the right direction, and that got me into all the things that you see now. But it was this incredibly long journey of, being disappointed in myself and having shame and not knowing what I was doing and being in over my head and spending so much time in over my head that I end up developing crushing anxiety because I'm failing so much and I'm failing so often but I have not yet divorced myself from the outcome. So because I'm so tied to the outcome, every hit is a hit to who I am and so I begin turning inward and I'm thinking less of myself even though I'm moving up and moving forward. I just spend so much time smack bang on my face doing something stupid, saying something stupid, actually fucking something up and costing a lot of money over and over and over. And so because I thought that meant I was bad, I was unworthy, I was never going to be able to achieve something, it was sending me into this fucking death spiral. And it wasn't until I really started having to learn about the brain to get out from underneath the anxiety that I began to put a lot of the pieces in place, the rules, the beliefs, and everything that ended up allowing me to catapult forward. And that is what for Lisa and I impact theory is all about. It's just getting people to realize you're an average human being an average human is enough. You can change far more than you think, but it's going to be really, really fucking hard. And so I cannot promise you that it is going to be easy because the dreams that you guys want to do, they're big. And some of you guys have specific dreams that are gigantic And I fucking love that. And while I think the most powerful thing you can give any human being is doubt, I'm not going to give you that tonight. What I want to give you tonight is a very simple idea. You can have, do, and become anything you want. Anything you want. If it doesn't violate the laws of physics, you can have it, do it, become it, doesn't matter your age, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, literally none of it matters. But what does matter is you have to become extraordinary. So the first step in this incredibly arduous journey that you're going to be on if you want to be extraordinary is simply to believe you can become extraordinary. It will be hard you will fail. You will be afraid. You will embarrass yourself. You will make mistakes. There will be the dark night of the soul. And in that moment, in that dark night of the soul, the only thing that's going to rescue you are your beliefs about the way the world works because you're not going to feel good about yourself. But if you can piece that mindset together where it's about the pursuit, that you're a learner, that's your identity then you can begin to cobble this stuff back together and get back up on your feet and get moving. So said simply the idea I want to leave you with, it does not matter who you are today. It only matters who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. How do you go about cooperating with the government? As to share messages of empowerment and optimal health in the education system. I have no idea. And if I'm really honest, I've avoided this like the plague. Even back at Quest, I could just look into my future and I knew eventually we're going to have to start. um, What do they call that when you go after the government? Lobbying. This guy. Uh, Lobbying the government. That is something I just was not eager to do. So sales cycles, sales, getting them to adopt ideology, however you wanna think about it, in the government is so long and it's no one person and it's so hard to predict and to understand. I, I am the wrong man to answer this question. That sounds like a nightmare to me. I would do anything but. So like somebody needs to change the education system but it's not going to be me because I have no interest in that. All right, sad, can't help you somebody else is going to have to tackle that problem. All right. Avery Nair. How do you be aggressively yourself? I struggle as a people pleaser growing up, doing what's safe, doing what makes my parents happy, being the cheerleader in people's lives. How can I be unapologetically myself while still caring deeply about others? Okay. So here's how I do it. I never use the aggressively myself as a rebuttal to who they are. Okay, so it's never like oh you should do this and then I'm like this is me and this is how I do it Okay, so I don't do that What I do is when I have a moment to express myself where I'm just expressing myself I'm not trying to convince anyone else. I'm just going and doing my thing I go and do my thing and I let people see how much I'm loving it I let people see how much I enjoy it and when somebody comes at me and they're trying to change me It's like hey, I fully respect that right compassion I totally get where you're coming from, I hear you, period. Now, let me tell you about the things that excite me. I'm not trying to convince, just like here's what I find exciting, here's why, so that they can see why I'm doing it, they can see what I'm really into and that I'm all about it. And then, I just don't think about them, what they want from me, all of that, if it's real, and I'm actually excited about this thing, then I just go put my time and energy into that. I go do my thing. And that is my act of being unapologetically myself, that I go do that, and I love doing that. And then, and this is the only part that gets a little dicey, if people keep coming at me, then I will start doing, what do you actually want for me? And I do it just like this, so that people know that I'm being serious. What do you really want for me? Do you want me to be happy? Do you want fulfillment for me? yes, which everyone is going to say yes. Okay, awesome. How do you define that? And then ultimately we're going to get down to, they define it by how I feel about myself when I'm by myself or my neurochemistry or all that. Just a level of happiness, a level of contentment, a level of like stress-free life. Awesome. I listened to you. I've heard you and I'm telling you The thing that gives me that is this thing over here that I wanna do and I get it. I don't need you to accept it. I'm fully okay that you're not on board with that. I get it. And the only thing that I will ask is watch me do it and see if you see it making me happy. I don't do things to people please even though I have that same instinct as well. However, like whoever out there thinks that they feel people pleasing the most strongly, the desire to make other people happy, I'm at least at your level, if not a little bit higher. But I found that doing that did not take me where I wanted to be neurochemically. It wasn't making me live my best life, have the most fulfillment. And so purely out of just looking at the results I was getting, I knew that I couldn't keep doing that. So that is how I go about being unapologetically myself. And literally, it's not apologizing for yourself. That's a big part of it. Okay, Mary Strother. What if you're happy with your job, but you don't like the place it's in, I know I'm not a tree, but in my field, opportunity doesn't always come up, and I think by you know you're not a tree means you're not, that you are a mobile thing, which I like. That was actually a reference to a quote that I used um, in an episode of Impact Quotes. I love that quote so much, Um, so what would I really do? You like your job, but you don't dig where you're at. Man the honest answer for me is I would leave. Like I'm so hell like I know what I want to do with my life. It is so clear to me that I just wouldn't let anything stop me. And that's why I left Tacoma. I loved Tacoma. I was not unhappy in Tacoma at all. Like people always think I left for the weather or whatever. I didn't. I didn't even think about the weather as a kid. It was just all I knew. I left because I wanted to be in a bigger city that had more opportunity and that was it. And so I was moving towards something and I think that there are two things that motivate people moving away from something. So, oh, I don't want that to happen. I don't want, um, like take uh, longevity. I don't wanna die. That's moving away from something. I wanna live forever. That's moving towards something. So living forever for me is about all the things that I could do and all that. So I'm moving towards that. I'm not moving away from a fear of death. Um, So, that here, like the only perspective I can give you is that if I ever had a sense of like, I can't go as far as I want to go in this place, I would be f-ing gone in a heartbeat. Um, I know that that's true because at the age of 18, that's exactly what I did. And at one point I almost moved to New York because I thought New York would be even better than LA. Um, so, and the only reason I ended up staying was I came to believe that that actually wasn't the case. Um, so there you have it. All right, Rocky Ware. No way that's a real name. YouTube. Hey Tom, I often struggle with questioning myself whether my thoughts are my real thoughts or not. Do you have any advice on how to become better at recognizing the non-true voices in your head? Yes. So this is where a meditative practice comes in in a way that like I won't even claim to actually understand what's happening. I will merely describe what it feels like. So Because the subconscious mind is able to process data vaster and faster than the conscious mind, my goal is always to be able to hear my subconscious. Now, the subconscious usually speaks in emotion. And the only way that that emotion can get accurately translated into the conscious mind where you can really understand it is if you can create a calm and creative space where no stress, no anxiety, is influencing what you're thinking about or even more terrifyingly, how you're interpreting what you're thinking about. Because an anxious mind will interpret things negatively or see the danger instead of the opportunity, whereas a calm and creative mind will see the opportunity instead of the danger. So, learning to meditate, learning to get into the the parasympathetic nervous system, into that alpha wave state, calm and creative, to really be able to accurately feel, sense, here what the, here in air quotes, what the subconscious is offering up to you so that you can interpret it by the, um, in the conscious mind. And I find that like, I just get like, the most interesting ideas, the solutions to big problems by doing that. So that is the only way that I know to really create that space to hear the truest voice that's going to lead me to fulfillment. So I wish there was something more brute forcey that I could offer you, um, only because I know that just like me for a long time, I struggled with the nature of meditation. It seems so passive, Don't take this wrong way, but it seemed feminine, and I naturally have such a powerful feminine side. Trust me when I say that was not the thing I needed to develop in my life, Um, so I struggled with that, which is really asinine and super stupid, uh, but nonetheless was where I was at, so I get why people may struggle with that, um, but yeah, meditation's the answer. Damien Bourgeois. That's just a fun word to say. Hello from France. What is up, France? What do you think about subliminal affirmations? Do you use them to empower your mindset at a subliminal level? I don't, only because I don't have experience in it. Uh, It could be amazing. Um, And I would, man, if I were really stuck, I would definitely try like uh, hypnosis um, or listening to stuff at night. Like I would try it all. I've got no beef with anything. Um, I've just never used it, so I can't speak to it. I found that the conscious mind repetition in the things that I can actually think out loud, the things that I can tell other people has been so insanely powerful for me um, that I haven't had to go to subliminal. But man, I am not opposed in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what do you think? If you've used it and it's been powerful, I'd love to hear about it. Um, Jacob McCray. YouTube. Tom, if you had to give one piece of advice to someone who aspires to be on your show one day, what would it be? Get extraordinary, that's it. Get so good that your results speak for themselves. Man, let me beat that drum to death. That's the answer. Eric Lanoue. Tom, what's your favorite Steven Seagal movie? I love that you're asking me that question. Above the law all the way. I'm gonna have to go with Hard to Kill. So hard to kill, like that whole thing where they kill the whole family and then the person's gotta come back and build themselves up from nothing is my fetish. Revenge tales are my fetish. I don't know why. My absolute, like you wanna know my guilty pleasure? Revenge tales. So yeah, hard to kill, that's the one. But I will say the scene in the grocery store in Above the Law where he gets on his knees and he's like, come on, come on. Oh God, it's so good. It's so good. (sighs) All right. Last question. Edgars Julmans, this is from Facebook. Hey, Tom, greetings from Latvia. What is up, Latvia? What is your advice on ways to control your emotions and start to become more confident because at, because at work, some say I do a good job and still I still won't believe them. Thanks. Well, sorry, man, my reading of that question was brutal. Um... So ways to control emotions. First of all, it starts with using that the the negative emotion as a habit loop trigger to an empowering belief. Now, sometimes to do that, what you have to do is get into the physiological hooks that we were talking about earlier. So if something like triggers me and I get aggressive or I get anxious, diaphragm breathing is going to be the thing that helps me recenter myself. That's a big thing. Um, And then just remembering the sort of very logical side of my mind, re-engaging the prefrontal cortex um, to not lash out emotionally, to use my um, higher level cognition um, and to think literally think in a very logical way the phrase you know that uh, reacting on that emotion isn't going to move me towards my goal what is my goal in this scenario and really just Thinking my way through and getting the blood flowing back to my frontal lobe, um, getting it into the executive functions of my brain. That's really important. So, um, those are the ways that I do that to make sure that I'm controlling my emotions. Now, the part about being more confident is really about earning credibility with yourself. And you've got to, so if you're doing the things to earn credibility, you're setting goals, you're meeting those goals, and then you're still not believing in yourself, then you've got to rely on the belief that. You only do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. And if being super insecure about yourself is not moving you towards your goals, uh, then don't do it. And if being confident and you've got reasons for that confidence through earning credibility with yourself by setting a goal and actually meeting it and doing what you said you were gonna do um, and being, you know, getting the skill set and actually showing results and all that, um, then you've literally just got to let go of that negativity about yourself because it doesn't make sense to hold on to it. So I only allow myself the level of insecurity that gets me to go out and do the things I need to do to be extraordinary. That's it. And once I'm spilling beyond that, I literally just stop myself. It is a negative thought in my head that does not serve me using cognitive behavioral therapy techniques of negative thought stop that doesn't make sense to believe that what's the habit loop trigger here i'm going to go into something positive i'm going to remember that i can adapt and grow at any time okay cool so i can set my mind to this and get better at it and let's just look at real results what does the data say does the data say that i suck at this and if it does great i'm going to allocate the time and energy that i want to this to actually get better and if the data sucks and i'm crushing it then i need to just set this aside